Welcome to episode six of the Seder cast. My name is Augie Walters and I'm normally joined by Ben Lepper, but he is gone this week. So I have some other help. And uh, joining me today, I have Brendan Jones, a member of the Holy Cross baseball team. And he is going to help me talk about the Holy Cross men's hockey team as they had two big wins over the University of Connecticut last weekend. Brendan, thank you for being here. I really appreciate you coming on and joining the show. Thank you. It's an honor. Uh, I got some big shoes to fill, but uh, hopefully I can do my best. <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun as uh, Holy Cross. They beat UConn twice. UConn was ranked 20th in the country. Uh, they came into Worcester on Friday night, and they uh, were unable to get it done. And then uh, Holy Cross went to um, Connecticut on Saturday, and then they won 2 nothing. So what were some of the things you saw? I know you were at the game on Friday. What were some of the things you saw that you liked out of the Holy Cross men's hockey team? Uh, you know, I thought for, for starters, I thought they played really well on the – Penalty kill. Uh, they unfortunately had a five-minute major, and of course, we're on the uh, penalty kill for five minutes, along with a couple other times. Well, actually, they scored uh, their game winner. Jack Ricketts scored the game winner on shorthanded goal. Um, you know, it's always always hard playing a man down, but being able to score is definitely uh, takes a wind out of UConn's soul. There. Um, also, I'd like to point out, I thought they did a really good job blocking shots. Um, a lot of the times UConn had them hounded in their zone, um, but I thought a lot of most shots from the point uh, were blocked, which is obviously huge uh, for the team. Who were some of the players that really stood out to you, especially on their Friday night win uh, in Worcester? Uh, for starters, definitely Jason Grande. I mean, he was an absolute uh, stone wall in that for both games for them. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, Jack Ricketts, who had two goals um, in the two games there. He scored again in the second game. Um, kind of a gritty goal, honestly, late in the third period. Um, I was watching. He was at, uh, It was going to be an icing, but he made like very nice play to beat the puck to uh, the red line and was able to score an empty netter to kind of put the game away late. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of other guys as well. Jake Higgins logs a lot of minutes. A lot of minutes um, but overall, huge, huge team win. And I actually saw that on some... I saw everything college hockey on Twitter actually had Holy Cross ranked at 20 after the successful 3-0 start of the season. So that's obviously very promising. Yeah, I saw that they received 40 votes in the co- uh, in the poll as well. They're not ranked um, in the poll, the official poll yet. But I think it's just huge for Holy Cross hockey to kind of be on the map, which is something that they really haven't been uh, of late. And I think it's something that um, it's just another – it's great for the school. I mean, obviously the football team provides a lot of the – um, athletic excellence that we see as the football team does a really good job of, you know, of late been winning games and, you know, being ranked and playing in these really big games. And uh, I think a, for another sport on campus to kind of have some of that intensity as well is really exciting to see, especially hockey being such a prominent sport in the Northeast. It's just really cool to see uh, the hockey team being successful. And, you know, they're playing, uh, they have two road games this weekend against Robert Morris. What do you kind of think about Robert Morris? What do you like? What do you not like about them? Uh, biggest thing I can see is maybe, you know, after you have two big wins of obviously against Connecticut, it can kind of feel like these next couple of games could be more of a trap game than anything. Uh, on paper, obviously, UConn is a much better team than Robert Morris. Um, however, now they open up league play, um, you know, it's going to be a lot more grittiness to the games. Uh, you know, you just hate to see them kind of come in feeling a little more entitled than usual and give up these two games. I think Holy Cross should come away 2-0 this weekend. I think they should um, handle 
Robert Morris just fine, but, you know, you never know. Yeah, and I mean, I think Holy Cross hockey hasn't really started off undefeated in a very long time. So being 3-0 is kind of unfamiliar territory for the squad. And so, like you said, road games are never easy regardless of who you're playing. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how they show up um, against Robert Morris on the road. And then obviously after that, they play uh, Rochester Institute of Technology, who they played in the postseason last year. So um, it's not getting any easier after Connecticut for the Crusaders. And um, it's going to take help from all of the members of the team in order to you know, see if they can come away and keep this hot streak going. And one of those members of the team is junior Liam McClinsky, and he was nice enough to join the, uh, the podcast and kind of talk about all the things that happened last weekend and the things that he's preparing for this upcoming weekend against Robert Morris. So joining the podcast, I'm here with um, four, or excuse me, junior Liam McClinsky on the uh, men's hockey team after two big wins at Connecticut last week. Liam, thank you for joining the podcast. Really appreciate having you here. Thanks for having me. So let's just kind of start with you yourself. Obviously, you came from Quinnipiac. You transferred in um, before last season. Just kind of what was your background before Holy Cross and kind of how did you end up getting here? Uh, so I'm from New York originally. I went to high school in New Jersey, though, and I kind of grew up playing club hockey in New Jersey just my, like, entire life. Ended up committing to Quinnipiac from, like, a pretty young age. I was, like, around 16 and then just got there, didn't play much, and ended up getting an opportunity here and I think it worked out pretty well so far and hopefully it keeps going well. So um, obviously you're kind of newer to Holy Cross, but you've obviously made an impact um, in, your, in your first few years here. Obviously, I think I saw you had 21 goals in your first year and obviously you have had another one this season. Um, how have kind of you been able to mesh into the offense that Holy Cross already had here? Um, so our coach actually came from Quinnipiac, so it's pretty similar. Some of the systems we do are it's actually very similar. So it was kind of nice, like knowing, getting like a base layer. And then when I came in here, I thought I was able, e- able to easily adjust to it. So that's awesome. Let's talk about the big wins against uh, Connecticut last weekend. Obviously, there was a lot going right, especially at home and away. Uh, the home, home and away. Um, how did that end up? Kind of, can you just talk me through those two games? Yeah, I mean, uh, home game. It was good. I mean, we thought we played a really solid game. We were good in the D zone. Probably could have got a little more offense going, but we everybody did their jobs. We didn't give up any five-on-five goals, just a power play goal. thought we played pretty well. And then the toughest thing to do in hockey, beat a team two times in a row. And next day we went to their building and we were able to do that. I think, again, we just played really well defensively and Grande was just unbelievable in that too. Uh, obviously, the team is now 3-0. and What are kind of the vibes in the locker room like? What What is kind of the mentality of the team right now? Uh, we're definitely happy, but we're not, like, content with this yet. Like, we want to keep winning. We want to get back to that championship game we were at last year and this time win it. Yeah, talk me talk to me about that championship game a little bit. Obviously, the kind of was a run that was probably was a little bit unexpected, but it was a good run in the playoffs last season. Obviously, winning two best of three series to get to that championship game, which ended up falling a little bit short. But how was that postseason run in your experience? Uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I thought the whole team really bought in, like completely, like everybody, like we were completely bought in. I think that's what really helped us be successful in those three-game series, and then we just had needed a little more push to get over the last hump, and hopefully we can get it done this year. Obviously, you have goals, like getting over that last hump would probably be one of them. What are some other goals that you have, both for yourself and for the team this year? Uh, for, my, for the team to, to win that game and play in the NCAA tournament, and uh, for myself, probably 
just keep improving on my game, especially from last year, and see what I can do. I mean, I don't really know, honestly. <laughs> uh, what are some of your kind of most memorable moments on the, on the rink, whether it be before Holy Cross, at Quinnipiac, uh, in high school, or, um, or at Holy Cross? I'd probably say those couple of those OT wins last year were a lot of fun last year. And then going back to like high school, winning a state championship with my high school team was tons of fun. And then winning a league championship with my club team in juniors was tons of fun too. Just winning is fun, so hopefully we can do more of that. Awesome. And then a few final questions, just kind of preparing for Robert Morris this weekend. You obviously leave tomorrow morning. Um, what is kind of the game plan for Robert Morris kind of coming off of the two wins at Connecticut? Um, just stick with it. I mean, played a solid game. We probably could have got a little more offense going, so hopefully we can do that. But stay plugged in in the D zone, hopefully, and just stay after it, honestly. Can't no let up. I mean, they're a new team, but they're going to come hungry and want to play. We'll probably have a target on our back now because we just beat a good team twice in a row, so should be good. And then my final question to you is, why should Holy Cross fans come out and support um, the team this season and the heart, or in the uh, ice rink up, to, up top? Uh, I don't know. I think the games are fun. I, mean, I think they're come out. Hopefully we get a win for you. It would be a good time. Really appreciate having you here, Liam. Yeah, thanks for having me. So that was Liam McClinsky. Thank you, Liam, for joining the podcast. Really appreciate the insight. That is Holy Cross, two games at Robert Morris this weekend to look and see if they can continue their undefeated stretch on the season and improve to 5-0. We will see um, if they can do that. But let's shift into football, and I have a special guest with me, Holy Cross football. Uh, Rocky Pereira is here with me to talk some Holy Cross football after they had a bye week um, last week. They are back at home against Lafayette, against the Leopards. And it's sure to be a fun one. What are we thinking, Rocky? Oh, we're thinking a lot. Glad to be back on the show after three weeks. I'm ready to roll again. So, okay, this Lafayette team, they're actually not quite pushovers like they have been in the past. So, taking a look over here, uh, we want to focus really quick on their quarterback, Dean DeNoble. DeNobile? Uh, whichever it is, it doesn't matter. The guy's doing pretty good. He's got a 149 passer rating, which ain't too bad. On 107 attempts, which... Not quite as high as we might have expected for this far into the season, but it's still a healthy amount, and he's only got two interceptions between all of those. So he takes care of the ball pretty well here. He's averaging about, or sorry, he's on the year got about 781 yards. So again, his production is a little bit topsy-turvy, like how much is he actually getting the ball downfield, how much are they actually trusting him. But when they do trust him to take control of the ship, he holds it very carefully. He's got eight passing touchdowns on the season, one for a long of 63. So he can stretch the field if he really needs to. They seem to spread the ball around pretty well on offense. Um, between the sophomore Elijah Stewart and the junior Chris Carassia, um, pretty even in terms of the stat line here, Elijah's far and away the leading uh, yardage receiver, but they have about the same number of targets on the season. It looks like Elijah might stretch the field, or maybe he's the rack guy, while Chris is kind of like the short man here. Chris is leading them with touchdowns three over Elijah's two. And then there's a few touchdowns here and there across the other receivers to make up that eight earlier that we were talking about. So they distribute the ball pretty evenly here. I mean, the last thing to look out for is going to be the rushing game. Uh, in terms of the quarterback running, Dean DeNoble runs himself a little bit. On 48 attempts, he's got about 188 yards, so not quite as much as our dear Matthew Sluka, but he can definitely take off with his wheels if he needs to. The main running back here, Jamar Curtis, on 109 attempts for 715 yards. It seems a total of actually 698. Either way, it seems like they have a pretty even spread between their rushing and their passing game here. 
I think they can produce when they need to. Uh, they average about 24 points a game, which isn't bad at all, really, for any team, especially one going against Holy Cross. But I don't think it's going to be enough to overcome Holy Cross's firepower. We're just coming off the second year in a row of 50 bombing Sucknell, so that's always a nice thing to see. So I think unless Lafayette can either put some pressure on their with their middling defense then they need to find a way to really produce and catch up with this Holy Cross offense. I think it's a safe one in the bag, but then again, every time I say it, it looks like Holy Cross comes close to falling on their face. But they have been training upwards for the last few weeks, and coming off a bye, I think it's a strong performance ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's really something to talk about is the fact that, like you said, this Lehigh, or excuse me, this Lafayette team, they're not a pushover, right? And I think a lot of people in the past would have thought that Lafayette would kind of be Lafayette coming into uh, – Worcester would kind of be one of the games that would be more of a rollover, easy win. But this team's 5-1, and one, and their only loss is against FBS and nationally ranked the Duke Blue Devils. So I think it's really interesting to kind of see what's going to go on. And like you said, they have a really good quarterback, and he's just a sophomore. So he's only thrown two interceptions on in the year. And um, when they trust him, it seems like he's been doing a pretty good job kind of throwing the ball around to his young receivers. And It'll be just interesting to see what Holy Cross does and how they kind of adjust defensively. And they're going to have some fresh legs, especially coming off, to that, off that bye week like you just talked about. And, you know, Ben and I on the podcast have talked a lot about how Holy Cross, you know, they sometimes, you know, their defense does not really get going early, right? It, sometimes it needs to, like, adjust a little bit. And this Lafayette offense, I think, is one that is shown with their 5-1 and one record that they're going to be able to take advantage of that, of of you know, a defense not being able to adjust early. So I think Holy Cross is going to have to step up early, and I think um, their offense is going to have to do what they did against Bucknell last weekend because um, that's just that's just so much firepower, 55 points. And, I mean, we've seen them just – we've seen them do that before, and we're going to have to see them do that again to beat a really good Lafayette team. Yeah, this Lafayette team, the important thing is they do very, very solid in all of their games, and they can keep up with some tough opponents. So – it's definitely Holy Cross's game to lose. I think Holy Cross, at their best, can pull away from this Lafayette team. But if Holy Cross rolls over or gives them inch, I think Lafayette takes a mile here. So on this family weekend extravaganza coming up, we're hoping the Holy Cross team comes out absolutely slinging both guns on family weekend and puts on a light show for the whole home crowd. So... Hopefully it'll be just as fun as watching the Fordham game last year, which was absolutely electric. Let's have a fun game against a good Lafayette team and hopefully pull out with a win. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a lot closer than people expect. And I think, like you said, there's going to be tons of parents, family, friends in town supporting Holy Cross. I saw it's supposed to be a little bit rainy, which we'll see if how that impacts the game. I think that's always trending in Holy Cross's favor because the legs of Matthew Sluka are extremely it's such a powerful weapon that they're able to use um, and have at their disposal. And I think that's something that they're going to need to use again. And um, obviously getting Jordan Fuller involved as well is something that they do such a good job at and, you know, letting that offensive line just kind of work and do the work for them. So we'll see how Holy Cross does. I think it's going to be a closer game than people think. I agree with you. I think Holy Cross is going to come out on top. And I think coming off that bye week, they're going to be fresh and they're going to be ready to go. So Holy Cross versus Lafayette family weekend extravaganza. Uh, Rocky and I will be there. I'll be on the call, actually, with Aiden Connold. It'll be extremely exciting. So tune in to WCHC on Saturday at 1 Eastern time. I will be on the call. Um, so it'll be a fun family weekend, and hopefully the Sagers can pull it off against the Leopards. Woo! So Rocky is also here to help with the weekly picks since Ben is not here. We're going to have Rocky uh, make some picks. We're gonna, we always do our five games, make our score predictions, and kind of – 
you know, try and help people who are trying to figure out what they want to do and who they want to pick over the weekend for NFL games. And we're going to start off uh, with the Sunday afternoon game with the Lions at the Ravens. Lions coming off another win against the Buccaneers over the weekend, one of the, you know, more surprising teams in the league thus far. And the Ravens have played really good games and played really bad games, but they're back at home and the Lions are in town. So what are we thinking for this one, Rocky? Yeah, so Lions-Ravens, this is actually a really funky one kind of going on. This matchup really hasn't been good since 2013. Glad to have a season where it'll actually be exciting to watch these two play against each other. I think the main line here is that the Lions are becoming a more consistent team. They're putting up the exact yards you need to, and they're unfortunately, I think, becoming a little bit predictable here. As they're kind of like getting to this solid... A production every single week. It's struggling sometimes to make these really big jumps in order to get over their opponents, especially towards the end of the game. But I think the Lions are becoming a very solid team. The real question mark here is, of course, this wild card in the Ravens, because they've been fluxing boom and bust every single week. Are they going to have an absolutely dominant game where they're going to completely smoke the other opponent, or are they going to lose by, like, 20 points? With the Ravens, I have no idea. I think that's kind of my little story for this game coming up. I mean, if they turn off against Goff, he's definitely going to stretch the field on them. He knows what to do with his receivers. The Lions, of course, always build a really good running attack on them. The Lions are a very solid, consistent team, which are only trending upwards, and the Ravens are constantly fluctuating. So let's see if we get a good Ravens team here today that's really going to be expecting this Lions opponent and pick up on their uh, tendencies. If not... I think it could completely swing back the other way, and the Lions can totally just snowball and walk away with it here. I want to say that the Ravens are going to have a good matchup against the Lions here. So, for a score prediction, that's a hard one to say. Let's do something funny. Let's do, like, a 27-24. Both teams kind of getting on the board pretty consistently there. Ravens or Lions are winning that I'm one? Taking, ooh, I'm taking Lions. So let's we, say Lions. I can go either way, but let's say Lions. So Lions 27-24. to 24. I also like the Lions, and it would be interesting to see. I think this is, you know, one of those funky games where it's like, seems like it could be high scoring, but then you look in the third quarter and it's like 10-7 or 10-6 or something like <laughs> yeah. that, and you're just kind of scratching your head as to where the offense has been, but it's just because, you know, both teams have really good defensive plans. I mean, we saw the Lions defense. It started early. I mean, they shut down the Kansas City Chiefs in week one, winning that game 21-20. to No one saw that coming, especially with the first game of the year and everyone healthy. And then the Lions, you know, they've had a few games where they gave up some points, but all in all, they, they dominated the Packers at Lambeau. They had a great win, like I said, mentioned last week at the Buccaneers. So they've been playing well on the road. It'll be interesting to see if they can go into Baltimore and get it done, but I think that they can. I think Dan Campbell's just got a few too many tricks up his sleeve that the Ravens aren't going to be able to, you know, com- combat. And I think it's going to be one that's you know, an extremely fun matchup. I think it's going to be, like you said, a really close matchup. I think it could come down to like a field goal at the end. And I think the Lions could be kicking that field goal. And another thing I want to mention is I think the Lions, you know, the Ravens do a great job of shutting down your number one receiver sometimes. And that could be Amon Ross St. Brown uh, for the Lions, not having as good of a day as many people might think. And I think, you know, someone like Josh Reynolds or Holy Cross alum Khalif Raymond could, there you know, is. find find their way into the end zone or, you know, make a big play late in the game. So we'll see how that, uh, how that's, um, how that happens, but it'll be interesting to see how this one goes. I think this is one of the, probably the more exciting matchups of the week, and I think it's going to be a little more le- uh, low scoring than what you said. I think the Lions are going to win twenty to sixteen over the Ravens. Okay, more low scoring. I can definitely see that though. Really, either way with both these teams, I think the Lions can consistently get to twenty at this point. Though I agree. So we're moving on to the Bills at the Patriots. This will oh be an interesting one. The Bills, you know, they were really, really big favorites against the Giants last week at home on Sunday Night Football, and they 
did not play very well. The Giants, you know, they were winning late, and there was some controversy at the end. Did Darren Waller get held in the end zone? I don't know. I think he might have, but I'm not the referee. I didn't make the call. The Bills escaped 14-9. Yes. to They ended up beating the New York Giants. Uh, but Josh Allen did not look good. He looked unhealthy. He left the game for a few plays, and then he ended up coming back and, you know, finally leading that drive down the field to get the take the lead late, and then they held on um, as the as the um, as the Giants were stopped at like the two yard line at the on the last play of the game. But long story short, is the Bills didn't look great, and, and another team that hasn't looked great is the Patriots. They have been struggling mightily of late. Another loss for the Pats last week at the Raiders, and the Raiders they're not a great team. They've got a few guys, but not a great team. So what uh, what do you think is going to go on here as the Bills travel to Gillette Stadium and play the Patriots? Well, I've kind of had a similar idea about the Bills. They've kind of been like sneakily flawed here. When I've been looking at the Dolphins, are obviously clearly leading this division far and away, but I've been looking between the Jets and the Bills. To me, the Jets seem like they're a bit sneaky good. Like, if they kept Rodgers, they might actually be doing something with that team. And the Bills have been sneaky bad. They've just been having some rough, inconsistent games with bad form. I think there's a few holes in that team that we're not really recognizing. I think you're right. Allen is slipping a little bit here. But... But the Patriots have absolutely been the super stinker of the decade right now. I mean, we're, we're only three years into the decade so far, and this past team looks like the worst one that's going to come out of it. I, I am, of course, a Patriots fan, as you all know, grown here in Mass, from Millbury, Massachusetts, right outside of Worcester, where Holy Cross is. But I've got no faith in this team right now. I gave up on them about three weeks ago. I was five shots of fireball deep in a diner in the middle of Cape Cod watching that Saints game and my heart was crushed. I switched to the other side of the table so I could face away from the TV. Nothing about this Pats team looks appetizing whatsoever. It's It's been really hard to watch as a longtime Pats fan. All of our most like fun players to watch, like Gonzalez and Judon going down. You've got all of these like weird, are any of the corners going to play whatsoever? The offensive line is more inconsistent than it's looked in... I don't know, the last 30 years. They're facing back-to-back issues. Nobody trusts Mac Jones in the locker room. Bill O'Brien's offense is not panning out the way they want it to. Uh, Bailey Zapp nor Trace McSorley dressed for last week's game, which made them almost have to rely on, um, what's his name? Oh, Malik, Malik Cunningham. Yeah, Malik Cunningham. So I think whoever they decide to go with a quarterback, if they actually you know, get the guts to bench Mac here. It doesn't really matter. I'm expecting literally nothing out of this Patriots team except, I don't know, maybe a 10-yard run by Ramondre Stevenson, who's also looked completely out of form this last year. Zeke had a nice drive last game. That was about it. Yeah, I mean, this Patriots team, it's just completely underwhelming, and I think everyone here is now, you know, they, they didn't want to believe it early. They wanted to believe that there was still something there after uh, that bad loss to the Cowboys, I'm pretty sure it was, and then all of a sudden it, it just got a way worse after that losing getting demolished by the Saints at home, going across the country, losing to a really not very good Las Vegas Raiders team. Uh, the Patriots just aren't aren't it this year, and, and I think you're right. I think they just need to have the the guts to bench Mac Jones because he just clearly isn't the answer. Um, and I know their backup options for them aren't great, but I think they need to prove a point to their fans that Mac Jones is not what they want to be moving forward, and they're going to try and address that situation in the draft this upcoming year. And the long story short is I don't think the Patriots are going to win this game. I think the Bills are still a good team regardless of their, you know, a little bit of a weird performance last week and I think they're going to dominate the Patriots I'm going to say they're going to beat them by three touchdowns I'm going to give the Patriots a little bit of love but I'm going to say it's going to be like 31 to 10 yeah so here's my thing I don't think there's any long-term solutions anywhere in that Patriots offense I think in the defense there's actually some bright spots if they would just stop getting injured but 
I've really got no hope from anyone currently on the Patriots offense to survive and do well and thrive in the next five years. I think the Pats are probably going to get a first round pick early and use it on a tackle, which they do probably need. The offensive line has looked really bad. It would help them keep a lot of their form. But I don't know if they really fix the glaring issues with quarterback. And of course, just the receiver depth is just not there for this team. And an age where free agent receivers you're scraping off the bottom of the barrel aren't going to hold it over anymore. You know, you don't have Tom Brady holding their hands and really bringing them to a long stretch. But enough about my Patriots ranting. I think this is going to be a bad game for both teams because if there's one good thing the Pats defense can do, it's somewhat control the Bills. Again, I still think the Bills are going to pull away far and easy. This is going to be a 16-3 to game right now. That'll be a fun one <laughs> if it's 16-3 to for sure. I'm sure a lot of people will be happy to watch that one and go to Gillette Stadium this weekend and see a 19-point uh, total finish. But um, <laughs> anyway, we're going to move on to the Chargers at the Chiefs. The Chargers, they played on Monday night against the Dallas Cowboys. And, you know, it was a very interesting game. The Chargers, again, had a game-winning drive opportunity to go either tie or take the lead with about two minutes left and a few timeouts and the two-minute warning. And the Chargers, again, did not get it done and threw an interception, and Justin Herbert fell just short. Um, that's kind of the mantra of the Chargers thus far, and we'll see if that continues again at Kansas City. It seems like the Chargers, they're always in the game. It feels yeah. like they're always right there, and they just don't get it done. I think that's kind of something that's been going on for the Chargers in the past. But uh, the Chiefs have been – they've looked really good of late. And, again, they're at home and that 425 Eastern time, start time. Um, they kind of thrived in that era, that kind of primetime matinee game. Um, the Chiefs have done really well in the past, and Mahomes shows up to that a lot. We'll see what the whole deal with Travis Kelsey and uh, Taylor Swift is because that's always an interesting storyline that is, <laughs> you, you know, it's fun to track. But uh, we'll see what's going on there. It always, it always drives some viewers um, and some entertainment and some media. So we'll see what the Chargers and the Chiefs can bring. Uh, what do you think is going to go on? Well, I think this is going to be a really good game. The Chiefs are actually a team to get excited for. They've shown really good form recently. And I know it's just easy to say that because they're, like, always the strong Super Bowl contender right now. But the Chiefs are actually showing a lot of good shape and consistently producing out here. Um, the Chargers, on the other hand, it's weird because the Chargers always perform well against the Chiefs. Like Augie said, they're always staying in the game. They're always keeping up with their opponent. But they can't seem to pull through in the end. So I'm just wondering, coming off the bad week they did last week, are they just going to you know, run out of steam and just pull up short against this Chiefs team, which is probably not going to take their foot off the brakes? They're cruising at a very nice altitude right now, and they've got really no reason to stop. Or no, at least easily foreseeable reasons to slow down in any capacity. The Chargers, of course, being in division, they always prepare well for the Chiefs team, but I really don't see them winning here, unfortunately. And that's a little bit to the more to the Chargers' credit than the Chiefs, because I think we know that the Chiefs are always going to produce strong here, and they're always just going to get away with a few drives. They're like, wow, how did they get out of that one? The Chargers don't have that factor. They, they can't get out of those tough drives. They can't make those low rolls into high rolls and make those like risk pay off in the same way. They just run out of steam too late into the game. I'm actually going to call this one a high-scoring one. I think the Chargers are going to keep up for a while, but the Chiefs are going to pull ahead. Let me get something funky in here. What's a good score? Let's go like... Ooh. Let's go 35 to like 24. All right. I like that. This Jeez. is going to be my upset of the week somehow. I am going to believe in the Chargers. I think the Chargers, they're going to be able to kind of find a way to get it done. Um, I'm not sure how. I think this is going to be shocking to a lot of viewers. I think everyone's going to be predicting that the Chiefs are going to find a way to win this game. I think everyone's going to say Mahomes is going to throw for three touchdowns and they're going to run for two. And like you said, they're going to put up 35 points. But I think the Chargers are going to keep answering back. I think Justin Herbert, after that bad loss last week, he's going to bounce back. I think he's going to play really, really well this week. And I, 
And I, for some reason, I believe that the Chargers are going to go into Arrowhead Stadium. They're going to stun the Chiefs. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, like you said, that the Chiefs aren't going to go down without a fight. That's for sure. I don't think the Chargers' defense is good enough to get a ton of stops. They obviously just traded J.C. Jackson away. Um, so it's a different look for that Chargers team. So it'll be interesting to see what they can do um, offensively. I think that's what it's going to come down to. Can the Chargers continue to put up points? And I think that they're going to be able to do so. Do so. And I think they're going to put up 38 points, and I think they're going to beat the Chiefs 38-34 in a kind of a wild game that no one sees coming. So moving on to the Sunday night game, one of the better games we've probably had oh, um, this, is the this best season. Game, I think, this week. I th- uh, I'm saying this season. It's a very fun one with two one-loss teams facing off each uh, facing off against each other. The high-powered offense in the Miami Dolphins are headed to Philadelphia to another high-powered offense, not as high-powered, but another high-powered offense in the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, and this is sure to be a fun one. So what are we thinking? Yeah, so this is actually a game I'm really, really excited for because this Eagles team has been producing pretty well. I think they got off to a bit of a slow start at the last game um, that they had in the previous week. I remember checking my fantasy team, of course, because I've got this nice stack of uh, Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown going on. And I was a little surprised to see they weren't pulling away earlier. But I do believe that this week against a team like the Dolphins, whose defense has not really been their mainstay, it's more been that offense, I think there's definitely room for them to carve a spot open in this game and put up a ton of points i think if there's one game where we'll see the eagles like put their foot on the gas and not really take it off it's going to be this one they have a chance to really snowball against this team and show why they can make it back to the super bowl possibly on the flip side of the game here the fin side of the game i should say the dolphins of course always look high powered their whole motto is that they're just fast and that eagles team has been at a little bit of trouble keeping up with some faster players so i really think even though a chain's been out I really think you can't go wrong with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell. Tua's looked nothing but great form recently, and I think he's going to keep producing that same effort here. If the Dolphins can be creative with their attacks, this Eagles defense shouldn't slow them down the same way. This one really looks to me like it's going to be geared up for a shootout, and I really, really want to see the numbers climb even higher and see how high they can go. Should I just do something ridiculous for my score prediction here? Let's go 45 to 42. That's what I want from this game. Maybe that's not a realistic score to try and pull out here. And maybe because I'm saying that, I'm jinxed it and this is going to be like a t- like both scores in the teens or something like that. But I really want this to be an absolute light show. Fireworks, it's not even the 4th of July yet. 45 to 42. We're going to flip a coin here and I'm saying it's going to be the Dolphins coming out on top. I like that a lot. I mean, I think this is definitely going to be a high-scoring game because what Dolphins game isn't a high-scoring game at this point? I mean, they just put up points at an absurd level. I mean, they were down 14 nothing early against the Carolina Panthers, and then you blink, and next thing you know, it's 21-14 Dolphins, and they go on to win 42-21. to I mean, this offense is ridiculous. Tyreek Hill is a cheat code. I mean, he's just running all over the place, finding open seams and just figuring out a way to get open on any quarterback, cornerback, no matter who it is. He gets open, and then... You try and guard him with seven guys, and next thing you know, Jalen Waddle's wide open. And then Raheem Mostert finds a hole. I mean, like you said, A-Chain's been out. But, I mean, these weapons, there's just too many of them. We'll see if they finally get Chase Claypool involved. I'm not sure if they're going to do that this week. Um, but that'll be interesting to see what they can do. But long story short, I think that the Dolphins are going to be really interesting to watch, especially when they finally uh, play a really good defense. I think the Eagles have a really good defense. I mean, uh, sometimes it gives up points, but I think the long story short is they're a bend-don't-break defense, and I think it'll be interesting to see if the Dolphins are able to make them break because the Dolphins are able to make the teams break, and they are able to make the Broncos break. 70 points against the Broncos. I mean, that's just absolutely ridiculous. I think the Dolphins are going to win as well. I think Jalen Hurts is going to have a really good game. I think 
Devontae Smith is going to have a really good game. I'm not sure if that's going to be enough. I think the Dolphins are going to go into Philadelphia. It's going to be a wild crowd. Obviously, the Phillies in the playoffs right now. So the city of Philadelphia, it's pretty nuts right now. Saw those two games against the Diamondbacks. My poor Diamondbacks did not do too well uh, in Philadelphia. They just they had a rough go, and I mean the Philly crowd, it was incredible, and I think it's gonna be nothing short of incredible in this big Sunday night matchup um, against the Dolphins. But I think it's gonna be a high scoring game, and like you said, I think the Dolphins are gonna win a close one. I think it's gonna be a little bit further apart. I think the Dolphins are gonna put up thirty four. I think the Eagles are gonna put up twenty seven. It's gonna be one of those games that comes down to the wire, though. And the final game that we're going to talk about for the week is the Monday night game. It's an interesting one. It's the 49ers who just come off, came off a horrendous, and I mean horrendous loss yeah, against P.J. Walker and the <laughs> Cleveland Browns at the Vikings. And the Vikings, obviously, they have had some injuries. They have had some struggles that they've had to try and overcome. Yeah. I mean, that'll be interesting to see how they deal with that. I mean, Justin Jefferson, obviously, out. Yeah, that's the big and one. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's the big one. And, I mean, we'll see what Jordan Addison, he's been kind of iffy if he's playing yeah. or not. Or if he's playing or not. Too. And, I mean, Madison, he's kind of had uh, butterfingers a little bit, just kind of letting the ball go. But long story short is I don't think – the Vikings are ever a team you can overlook. It's always they always come to play, and I mean they've had an extremely tough schedule. I mean a few of the losses, obviously, to the Chiefs and to the Eagles. So what are we thinking for this 49ers Vikings game? Yeah, so this is a hard one. I think if you asked me this team, like this matchup week one, I would have said a lot differently. This is going to be electric. There's going to be people flying all over the place. We're going to see Purdy in top form or something like that. But really, watching Purdy these last few weeks. He can beat up on bad teams for sure, but is he enough to get them over the hump when it comes to facing really good opponents? I don't really know, especially losing a shootout against P.J. Walker last week and a whole 49ers team just looking seriously out of form for them against the Cleveland Browns. I know the Browns are a little bit better than everyone's making them out to be here. To be fair, people are not making that much out of the Browns right now, so it's not hard to you know get above that bar, but... Still, that should have been another game that was easily in the 49ers' hands. I think they're going to show a lot better form this week coming into it, though. I think they're going to correct a lot of the mistakes they were making. I don't think they're going to be too shaken up by that loss. A solid performance. Over on the other side of it here, the Vikings. Now, this is a weird one for me because, like Augie was saying, injuries all over the place, missing Jettis right now. The run game's been at best. But I feel like Kirk's always going to put up a persistent showing. The one issue here, though, it is Monday night. Those lights are on. If there's one man who does not perform when the lights are on, it is Kirk Cousins. You can apply that to every stage of his life. I'm not in his bedroom, but I bet it goes there too. Get those lights out of here. Kirk Cousins does not perform well in prime time. I think he's going to throw a pick or two to that 49ers defense who is actually going to show up and possibly throttle him a little bit. I think they're going to put some good pressure on him too, and I'm running away with the 49ers on this one. Again, I don't know how far the offense is going to get because they were so shaky these last week or two or so and how far Purdy's going to take them but I'm going to say something like 24 to 14 I think the Niners are going to have a very solid showing in order to get them back in shape and I think the Vikings are going to fall behind a little bit here just because we know how weird Kirk kind of performs when the time comes to face against a good opponent in prime time so give me 24 to 14 49ers yeah this is totally the definition of the bounce back game for the 49ers right they just had that you know, goose egg of a layover game at Cleveland. And it's obviously no disrespect to the Browns, but that's the game that the 49ers should not be losing, right? Especially with their defense. 
Um, but obviously they are overcoming injuries. I think McCaffrey is still questionable. We'll see if he plays this week. It's the whole McCaffrey thing when he gets hurt middle of the season, and hopefully he gets, uh, hopefully he stays healthy for the sake of the 49ers. Um, we'll see if he plays against the Vikings. But um, this is the bounce back game for the 49ers, and I think you know this is the team that it's it's not easy to go into Minnesota and take care of the Minis- uh, the Vikings. And I know Ben isn't here to tell me how good his Minnesota Vikings are and. Um, that they are going to win this game. So I'm going to say, I'm going to agree with you, and I'm going to say the 49ers are going to win. Uh, I think the 49ers are going to bounce back. I think they're just a really good team. I think it was a little bit of a fluky loss last week. Uh, I'm going to say the 49ers are going to win. I think it's going to be a very similar score to what you said. I like that score a lot. I'll say 23-16. I think it's going to be like a touchdown game maybe as opposed to a 10-point game. Really? I think it's um, 23 there. Uh no, yeah, safety yeah. there somewhere in the middle? No, I think there will be some field goals kicked and some yeah, – some, yeah. some, uh, yeah, I think Miss they'll an take extra a, point. Yeah, so, something like that. All right, I can uh, see so it. I think they'll get to twenty three in that regard, and I think sixteen there'll be some field goals on both sides. So I don't think it's gonna be a ton of punching in the end zone because Justin Jefferson and Christian McCaffrey may not be playing, but I think the Niners are gonna f- find a way to come out on top. So that is the it for the week uh, seven NFL predictions, and we will see how Rocky and I do, and we'll go over that on the podcast next week. Um, and you know, one more thing I wanted to have Rocky talk about is he was in the booth for the, uh, pink game last night as the Holy Cross Crusaders men's soccer team placed the Harvard Crimson. And just tell me a little bit about what you saw out of the Holy Cross men's soccer team. Yeah. So this is a really fun one for me because it's a game. I finally got to call for soccer. I've been looking to get it for a long time. It was me and El Presidente of WCHC sports, Pat Grudberg up there in the booth. I was on the play by play and he was in the color. One thing I was not expecting for this game, that because it's a non-conference game, they had a special rule where they had unlimited substitutions coming in. So both teams were really taking advantage and just trying on as many guys as they could. Guys who don't get a ton of playing time were just subbing onto this match like it's nobody's business. We get about like 20 minutes into the first half. Harvard gets five guys lined up for substitution and put in five Swedish dudes. They have like a whole playset designed to put in a ton of Swedish dudes. They switched up their whole back formation. At the first, it didn't look like it was getting anywhere. The first half was kind of a stalemate for a lot of it. So what was going on essentially is that Harvard just kept playing it a lot around in their backfield. And they couldn't find a way through. The Holy Cross team was doing a really, really good job of locking them down. Jake Williams and Evan Walker especially were kind of both playing a low center defensive mid. And they were cutting off a lot of those intercepts. Harvard could not really find a way through to the goal. So... It was difficult at first to see like both teams trying to like push their way in there, but Holy Cross's offense looked equally uncreative. There was not a lot of through balls. There was a one-two tandem right in front of the goal between lead striker Evan Jones and uh, Mr. Gill as well. Uh, the freshman, number 22. I don't know why his first name's escaping me at the moment. I'm trying to say Charles Gill, but he's the captain of the Revolution, not Holy Cross. So, uh, sorry, Gill, but when your name comes to me, I swear I'll shout you out here. But unfortunately, that one-two didn't quite go anywhere. Harvard ended up taking the lead in the first half with a really, really well-placed shot coming from one of the Swedish guys they subbed on. Number four, or number 14, excuse me, Ohanen. Ohanen got a uh, beautiful ball sent up to him from the forward Nyquist, and Nyquist puts in Ohanen. And Ohanen was a really big dude for, like, an attacking midfielder. He looked broader than both of Holy Cross's center backs, and he puts an absolute rocket where the goalie doesn't want it. Um, it, it was a tough shot to see towards the end of the first. Coming into the second half, though, that's where the game really started to change. So, um, Harvard subbed in a lot of guys. They had this one man. He's ending towards the end of the first half, but he really showed himself in the second half of this game. It was Fujiwara. Let me find his first name right here. I've got my score sheet right in front of me. Um, excuse me for the Harvard Crimson. 
Kaoru Fujiwara. They're one of their two Japanese players that they have playing for the Crimson right now. He was absolutely electric as a playmaker. Number 23, passing and serving the ball around like it's nobody's business. Uh, Captain Harry White was subbed out of the game for another Swedish player. Captain Gunnarsson then came in. Um... So Holy Cross were the first ones to get back on the board. They had a beautiful run on the side made by Gill. Gill takes a shot. And he goes right across the goalie's right side. But right before the goalie can get to it, Evan Jones comes flying in with a mean header and puts it right past the goalie. I thought it was Gill taking an absolute screamer. And here comes Jones stealing all the thunder. Puts it right through for a Holy Cross goal. It was really sick to watch. Everyone in the booth was going nuts. The guy behind me kicked my chair and I almost deep throated my mic. It was crazy. But... Unfortunately, in the last five minutes at the death, Fujiwara, with four minutes and 15 seconds left, puts a beautiful, cuts between two men first off, and puts a beautiful through ball right in front of the main man for Harvard, Savah, who had just come back into the game after being injured a few minutes earlier, and Savah puts an absolute beautiful tap in across the goalkeeper's body, and the Harvard crowd goes crazy. Harvard... They, they made no stops whatsoever. They were pushing to the very last second. I would have liked to have seen the Holy Cross team show the same amount of effort there. I was really feeling like they didn't have as much creativity as they could have. But again, they weren't really focusing too much on the starting offense here. Both teams were really just trying to try a lot of depth, guys. I think Harvard got the best out of that package. Uh, they won on everything. Their substitute players played really, really well. They showed a lot of creativity. They made new combinations work together. The one thing that went bad for Harvard is that their main striker, Arlotti, actually went down during the game. He did not return. He limped off the field and was sitting next to the goal for a bit until trainers could get over to him. But otherwise, Harvard came out with wins on all fronts. And Holy Cross, it was all right. Uh, they saw a few guys who could put a combination together. It was nice to see Gill and Jones put a 1-2 together. Not once, but twice. The second time resulting in a goal. But the whole Holy Cross team really needs to figure it out. I think there might be a goalkeeper battle coming up soon. Because uh, Stefani was subbed out halfway through the game. Because they wanted to try the backup keeper, Josh Tubbs. And Tubbs actually played a very decent game too. He got on top of a few errant balls here and there. And saved actually a few more than Stefani did. But that's maybe just because, just happened to be the game. I don't know how much of a battle is going on there. Especially because so many guys were being subbed in and out. But the Holy Cross defense we know can stop Harvard's offense pretty well. They were doing it for most of the first... Uh, Quarter the, or first half of the game, excuse me, and really crushing all the creativity, making Harvard have a lot of just dead possession time until, again, late in that second half where they slipped up at the end. So, looks like this Holy Cross football is the opposite issue of the other Holy Cross football, where their defense doesn't get started till halfway through the game. Looks like this Holy Cross defense fell off halfway through the game, but otherwise, it was a really, really, really fun, dynamic game to watch. Congratulations for Harvard for taking the 2-1 lead over Holy Cross, but... Because it was a non-conference game, that means the loss doesn't matter. Holy Cross is still in sixth place in the Patriot League, meaning that they are still playoff qualified. As long as they go unlost through their like as long as they don't lose through their next three games, they will still make the playoffs. They need one win, and then the rest need to be either wins or draws for them to, I think, stay where they are right now. We're hoping for some good Holy Cross soccer playoffs. That's what we want to see. So hopefully this team can come through, figure out what their attack's going to be, get more creative on offense, and really pull through it to make sure we have some more fun football to watch.
Absolutely fantastic analysis on the Holy Cross soccer team right there. Rocky, they are back in action in Annapolis, Maryland, as they take on Navy this weekend. That's a conference matchup, so that's a must-win game or, I mean, win or draw game for Holy Cross. As we, Like you said, we want to see them in the playoffs, so they're going to get back at it this weekend. So really appreciate you being here to help with the podcast, Rocky. It was a lot of fun hearing your insight on Holy Cross football, NFL, and some Holy Cross soccer, and can't wait to have you back on here soon. Hell yeah. I hope uh, Ben Lepper doesn't get too mad at the picks I made for the NFL next week because I am speaking in his name right now. He will have to correct me when I inevitably get some of those wrong. I think um, the Patriots stink. Holy Cross could have a fun game against Lafayette where it's hopefully a really fun shootout to watch in front of the whole families. And, um, man, Harvard, I don't know what you're doing. Put Fujiwara as the captain, please. That guy was playing absolutely electric. Everyone in the audience was cheering for him, and we were on the Holy Cross side. So really fun week coming in. Thank you guys so much for having me on in place of the Benjamin Lepper. Again, my name has been Rocky Perea. I'm in sports broadcasting as well here for WCHC Sports Radio. I hope you'll tune in to another one of my games sometime soon. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you, Rocky. Woo! And transitioning from one collegiate sport in soccer and the Holy Cross Crusaders to another collegiate sport, we're gonna I'm gonna make some college football picks with Chris Blardrum, my third and final guest on this podcast. Chris, a member of the baseball team, uh, is here to do some picks with me. Chris, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to be here, man. So first off, we're gonna start uh, with Penn State traveling to Columbus, Ohio, to take on the Buckeyes. Uh, the Penn State Nittany Lions are 6-0, and the Buckeyes are also 6-0, one of the biggest matchups of the year. Um, Ohio State, they're 6-0, but they've looked shaky. Uh, they escaped at Notre Dame, and they also did not look great against Maryland, but they ended up kind of closing it out late. Um, obviously, on their home turf, it's always hard to beat the Buckeyes, but I think Penn State's got a really good team this year. Obviously, they just dismantled UMass last week, but they have some good wins on their resume as well, including an absolute drubbing of the whiteout game against Iowa. So Penn State is absolutely a team to watch, uh, watch this season, and uh, we'll see what they can do. Ed and Columbus, Chris, what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, I think Penn State is the better team, even though Ohio State is ranked higher. Uh, Ohio State kind of had like a cupcake schedule, like you were saying before this. Only their real marquee win was over Notre Dame a couple weeks ago. And then obviously Notre Dame has lost uh, again to Louisville too. So even they are a bit shaky. So I think Penn State's going to come away with this one on the road. I think they have a really good team. Their defense is really solid. So uh, I think both teams are going to be tested. But I think in the end, close game, Penn State's going to pull it out. Yeah, I, I also agree. I think Penn State's going to kind of upset Ohio State on the road. I think it's one that a lot of people don't really think um, too much of. I think a lot of people just kind of predict Ohio State to kind of just take advantage of the home field um, advantage that they have and, you know, kind of find a way to win. But I think Penn State's going to prove to be um, extremely difficult. Starting quarterback Drew Aller is really talented for the Nittany Lions, and we'll see what they're able to do. Um, but I think they're going to kind of come away with the win, and I think – it's going to be a little bit of a high-scoring game, and I think it's something along the lines of like 34-27 Penn State's going to come away with the game, or excuse me, with the victory. And so the next game we're going to move on to is at Bryant-Denny Stadium, the Tennessee Volunteers, uh, 17th ranked. To not really looked great this season. They've had some ups. They've had some downs. Obviously, the loss to Florida was one that was really ugly, but... Um, they escaped against Texas A&M last week, and they've had a few big wins on their resume. So they go into Bryant-Denny Stadium. They take on Alabama, who is 6-1. and one. You know, they're not the best Alabama team we've seen in recent history, but 
Um, let's see, what do you think is going to happen uh, with Tennessee and Alabama? Um, I think Alabama is going to come out with the win here. You know, like you were saying, Brian Denny is a really hard place to play. I was on the road. Uh, fans really show out, 90,000 people there. Uh, I think Alabama, even though they've had a shaky season, um, this will be a big win for them if they do come away with the victory. And I wouldn't even count out their uh, college football playoff hopes yet either if they do end up winning out the SEC. So I think this is a game to circle for sure this weekend, and I think Alabama's going to come out with the win. Yeah, I mean, if Alabama wants to have any chance of having success this season, it's going to come with a victory over Tennessee, especially with Tennessee not a great road resume uh, thus far on the season. So uh, we'll see how Tennessee is able to do in Bryant-Denny Stadium, and I think it's going to be a close game. I just, you know, I, I like Alabama. Obviously, they're just such a talented team, and Nick Saban is just really good at you know, finding a way to win. But uh, this season just doesn't feel like the same Alabama team. I mean, they jumped ahead of Arkansas last week, but then Arkansas came crawling back and only lost 24-21. to 21. So we'll see what's able to go on. I think Tennessee's going to be able to keep it close, but I do think Alabama's going to kind of escape. A little bit lower scoring than people think. I think it's going to be like 27-23. to 23. Alabama's going to get the win. Um, yeah, I, I really love close games like that. Uh, I think it's going to be a great game, and hopefully Alabama comes out on top. Absolutely. So uh, the third game we're going to talk about is going to be Duke at Florida State. Uh, the Blue Devils are 5-1 and one on the season, obviously, with that big win to start the year at Clemson. And they've just proved to be a solid team since. Um, but Florida State undefeated. They played some shaky games on the road, especially at Boston College. That was not a game that people expected to be as close as it was. And then they went to Clemson next week. And a lot of people thought Clemson was going to escape with the victory. But Florida State won. Um, I'm pretty sure it was in overtime or right before overtime. And so it's supposed to be a pretty good game. I mean, Florida State is 14.5-point favorites, so they're expected to win by a decent amount. Um, but what do you think Duke's going to bring on the road? Um, I think Duke is a really tough team this year. Uh, obviously, a couple uh, close game against Notre Dame and obviously the big win, like you said, against Clemson to open up the year. But Florida State has just played really good football lately. Uh, just blowing out their opponents uh, last couple games. Um, and obviously, again, at home, college football, home, ga- home teams have a big advantage, unlike uh, some, other, some other like professional sports. So I really think Florida State, as they come out with firepower, I think they're a top-four team in the country, and I think they're going to blow away Duke. Yeah, I, I agree that Florida State's going to win. I think it's just one of those things where they're a really good team and, you know, sometimes it's just hard to win on the road. So that's why it's kind of looks shaky when they've gone on the road. But when they're going to be at home, I think they're going to take care of business. I think the chop will be in full effect. And I think it's just going to be an extremely exciting game to watch. I think Duke is going to put up a little bit of a fight in the first half, but I just think that Florida State is going to run away with it the second half. I mean, Jordan Travis is one of the best quarterbacks, I think, college quarterbacks in the country right now, obviously. He's not one of the bigger names that you hear all the time, but he's just someone who kind of finds a way to get it done. He has the experience to get it done. And I think Jordan Travis is going to, you know, find a way for the Seminoles to win uh, at home. And uh, he spreads 14 and a half. I think they're going to win by more than that. I think they're going to win probably by three touchdowns. I think it's going to be something along the lines of like 38 to 13. Moving on to another game in the 730 Eastern slot, 
Michigan at Michigan State has a little bit of a different feel uh, this year. As you know, in years past, we've seen some crazy Michigan and Michigan State finals, including the drop snap uh, resulting in Michigan State winning in the big house. This one's in East Lansing, but this Michigan State team just isn't the same. Two and four on the season, lost to Rutgers last week. They just don't look very good. And Michigan, obviously one of the best teams in the country at 7-0. and And J.J. McCarthy looks like one of the best quarterbacks in the country. But a rivalry weekend, anything can happen. So what are you thinking is going on in East Lansing? Um, I think this is going to be another blowout. Uh, I think Michigan has the best defense in the country. Uh, I mean, they've only 10 points is the most points in a game they've given up all year. And obviously, like you said, Michigan State is a very shaky team. Two and four, just lost to Rutgers. Uh, I don't think home field advantage is going to play a big role here because I think Michigan is just the clear-cut better team on paper. And I think they're the clear-cut better team on the field as well. So I think Michigan is really going to come out and I think their defense is going to play really well. And I think they're going to get an easy win in East Lansing this weekend. Yeah. I think it'll be one of those games that is kind of close in the first half where people are like, Oh, watch the Michigan, Michigan state game. It's close in the first half, but I think Michigan's going to run away with it. Blake Horm, the running back for the Wolverines is just a touchdown machine. He's really good. And uh, they have uh, star receiver Romeo Wilson as well. So um, it's just hard to shut down that Michigan offense. And it's a team who's now proven them that they are one of the top teams in the country, obviously, losing to TCU in the national semifinals last year. But they beat Ohio State two years in a row, which I don't think many people saw coming. And um, I think this is just kind of another game on their path to try and making the college football playoff again. So we'll see what Michigan is able to bring. And I think they're going to be able to do – they're going to be able to perform very well in East Lansing. I think it's going to be something like 17 to 14 at the half or maybe a little bit lower scoring, but then they're going to run, run away with it, 38-17. And the final game on the slate is an interesting one, especially because USC is coming off probably their worst performance in the past three or four years um, at Notre Dame last week where Caleb Williams was just lost. I mean, he, looked, he was not looking good at all. And Utah comes into town, and Utah is one of those teams that just – always fights. They never go away. And um, it'll be interesting to see what they can do at the Coliseum. But Caleb Williams coming off probably the worst performance in his college career. So what are you expecting to see out of Utah-USC? Um, I think USC, this is a big bounce back game for them. Obviously, their defense is not very good, giving up, I don't know, almost 30 points in every game, 27 points in every game so far. Um, I think their defense is really shaky. I think Utah is going to attempt to you know, try and expose them. But I really think USC's firepower on offense, Caleb Williams, reigning Heisman winner and a bunch of other weapons that they have. I think their offense is just going to end up coming out on top and they're just going to end up scoring more points than Utah. And that's when it's going to come down to offense on offense. Yeah, I think Utah is just one of those gritty teams that's just never going to go away. And um, I, I really liked USC up until last week. It was one of those things where I was not really sure whether they were ranked 10th in the country until I watched them just lay an egg um, in South Bend against Oregon. But it'll be interesting to see how they're able to kind of bounce back at home because this is yeah the definition of a, a get-right game, especially against another good opponent in Utah. And obviously Cam Rising, uh, the quarterback from Utah, is still kind of battling back and trying to recover from that torn ACL that he had last year. So it'll be interesting to see how Utah can – can perform against USC, and I think they're going to perform pretty well. I think they're going to keep it really close. I'm not sure um, 
if they're going to be able to come out on top. If they do, it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game. They're going to be able to get stops than Caleb Williams. If they don't, USC is going to be able to run it up. I'm going to predict, I'm going to go along with you. I'm going to predict USC comes away with the victory, um, but I'm going to say it's going to be a lot closer than people think, and I think Utah is going to keep it closer than maybe that seven-point spread that's out there. So really appreciate you being here to help uh, make some college or week eight college football predictions, and uh, thanks for being here, Chris. Yeah, no problem. Had a blast.